0: You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. My name is Chris, and my name is Stephanie. In this episode, we are discussing
1: Orphan Black Deviations, which is a comic book miniseries that recently came out via IDW, and we will be discussing some spoilery elements of that series. So, if you do not want to know things that happen in in this particular comic book miniseries, just as warning, there are spoilers ahead.
0: Okay, so let's talk about what. Orphan Black Deviations is, in case anybody doesn't know. Uh, it's a comic book miniseries, as Stephanie just said, written by Heli Kennedy and with art by Wayne Nichols and Sebastian Cheng. It was released by IDW in 2017 and 2018. As of this recording, the trade paperback is recently available. It's sort of a what-if setup, asking what the plot of Orphan Black would have been like if Beth hadn't died. The series touches on a lot of events from the entire five seasons of the show, maybe less so season three, I feel like.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. It's season three and season five. There's less of those elements in this. So shall we
0: do some quick reviews what we thought of the series?
1: Yeah, just some general thoughts about the series. I feel like you're we're trying to be a bit more vague at this point if some people want to listen to what we thought of it first before they go read it. So we're going to try not to be too spoilery in this section, I think. I think it's a very interesting rabbit hole to go down because Beth committing suicide is the instigator of this whole storyline that gets Sarah drawn into Clone Club and and starts the whole thing. So I do think it's an interesting thing to kind of spool out, okay, what if that hadn't concluded that way? What What might have been different? I definitely didn't dislike Deviations, but I can't really say that I liked it either. <laughs> like, there were moments that I liked a lot, but I feel like the writers either tried to tackle or they had to tackle a bit too much in six issues. I felt pretty into it in the beginning. There were, there was one book where I put it down. I was like, Oh, I need to pick up the next one. Like I I was kind of engrossed in what was going on. But toward the end, I felt really bounced around in the storyline. And I just wasn't entirely sure what was happening where. So it's, it's a very, plotty version of Orphan Black, and there wasn't a whole lot of time for character development. So I'm sorry to speak for you, Chris, but I feel like maybe we weren't the best target audience for it because you and I are
0: really all about character arcs and character development. It's true. I have a lot of the same feelings about this that you do. Like, I'm not really sure how to feel about the miniseries. I think it's an interesting premise and i do like that we get to spend more time with a couple of characters who die pretty quickly in the show but like you mentioned stephanie i i found myself kind of confused about what was happening fairly frequently <laughs> i'm not sure if that's because of me though or the comic like it could be it could be a me thing just because as i'm reading it i'm like okay but i don't know it it's sort of Rubs up against in my brain against the actual story. <laughs> Cause I get, I get a bit of cognitive dissonance when I'm, like, if I'm watching a movie, a movie adaptation of a book that I have read, I'm like, okay, but that's not how that goes, <laughs> which is sort of a ridiculous thought to have. I recognize that they are two separate things, but also, I don't know. There's just part of me that's just kind of like, but this is, this is not the thing that I was expecting. Granted, going into this comic book, I know that that's the premise is like, what if this huge thing changed? But I don't know, stuff happens in different different order than it happens in the TV show. There's stuff that's very similar, but also feels very different, if that makes sense. Relationships that happened very differently, but also scenes that happen essentially the same. You know what I mean? I do. I do. I am, though, very curious who might
1: enjoy Deviations the most, whether it would be people who saw the entire series. Well, I guess there could be three categories. There could be really hardcore Orphan Black fans like us who really tried to follow the plot lines very carefully. and Or you can have people who watch the whole series more casually or... Or you could have folks who don't aren't really familiar with the series at all and just happen to stumble upon this comic book. Because of the premise, seeing the show would help you appreciate the differences that they're weaving into the story. Mm-hmm. But like you were saying, we also, those of us who've seen the series, also have this sense of, oh, but I liked what happened in the show better. Or there's this confusion of, but wait, I thought so-and-so did this. Oh, that's right. It did, happened this way in the comic and it happened this other way on the show.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do also have to mention that I definitely did not like the way this story ended. No! <laughs> I'm I'm coming out firmly against it. <laughs> As a surprise to no one who has listened to this podcast before.
1: No, I got to the end and I thought, oh, Chris is gonna hate this. <laughs> Chris did. Chris did hate
0: it. Chris got to a point, I think early in the last issue, maybe, where I was just kind of like... You know, we haven't had any main character deaths. (laughs) This is probably not going to end well. (laughs) Like, I had that thought. (laughs) That creeping dread thought where you're just kind of like, oh no, they're going to kill somebody. (laughs) I hate being right sometimes.
1: So do we want to move into talking a bit more specifically about
0: things? Sure. Consider that your warning, listeners.
1: <laughs> yes. Spoiler warning. Spoilers ahead. So, since you you were just talking about a major character deaths, etc., etc., the body count is very different in the miniseries versus the TV series because the story covers essentially. It kind of covers the span of season one. It feels like time-wise, and it's like bookended by the same beginning and end, essentially. Mm-hmm taking into consideration who all died or survived season one. So we have Katya, the first one for sure. Katya survives. She is not shot by Helena. And I was kind of happy about that. Like, I thought that her reunion with MK was actually really sweet.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I was was pleased with how much Katya we got. It's like, oh, this is what she was like, maybe. (laughs) And I do really feel like that's where the... I don't know, the the strength of this comic is is like, okay, you know, you, the readers, probably already are kind of familiar with the rest of the characters. So let's give you more of these characters that you maybe aren't as familiar with.
1: I almost put MK on my survived body count list, but she doesn't technically die within the season one timeline, so I'm not going to put her on there. But she does have a, a decent chunk of storyline here, and it's an important storyline, and it was another, like you mentioned, like another way for us to interact with her more, even though she wasn't around as much in the series. And then the other person that I made note of surviving season one was Olivier. He's in this only briefly. We do get a shot of his tail, which I kind of appreciated. Uh, but he doesn't really... Like, he didn't have a huge piece in, in season one, but he had, I feel like, even less of a, of a piece of the story here.
0: I mean... If they're going to show us the tail, I I want Helena slicing it off and da- having a dance party with it. Like that was <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great iconic, like weirdly iconic moment in the series.
1: I know. I know. That's okay though. <laughs> And then the other person who died in season one, but we don't see die here is Amelia. And the reason she doesn't die is she doesn't show up at all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. The uh, Sarah Helena storyline plays out very differently in, in this, which also makes me kind of sad, but.
1: So I think that's it on our survivors list. And then on our deaths list, we have Vic who dies. And I don't know, maybe I'm just like smushing together season two and season one, Vic, but he came across as a lot more sinister to me in the miniseries. I remember him being sinister in the beginning of season one, but having a bit more of a dark comedy element to him toward the end, but he never got to that point in the miniseries.
0: Yeah, I think the turn actually happens when Felix just straight up tells Vic that Sarah died. Which, of course, doesn't happen here, so... Right. Because she's
1: not pretending to be Beth.
0: Right. I guess he does stay much more in that that version that we first see of him basically accosting Felix.
1: And then... I was actually surprised that this happened. I didn't think they would do it. But Rachel and Ferdinand both seem to, at least, die in this. Granted... It, technically if they were coming back for a season two of Deviations, that could be a, a surprise miracle they both survived, it seems like something <laughs> those writers might do. But <laughs> for all intents and purposes, from all from what we know, both Ferdinand and Rachel die because they were in the explosion that MK created. And they were right by the bomb, so it seems unlikely they would have survived.
0: Yes, but like in T V land on Orphan Black, I agree you're right. It seems like a thing where they'd be like, oh surprise they somehow survived. They were close to the thing that exploded, but also there was a trap door that was even closer. (laughs) That happened to be a bomb shelter. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) Or something. This is why I am not a TV writer.
1: (laughs) And if we're going to extrapolate a little bit, if Ferdinand died, then ostensibly, if the story continued, that means that he couldn't kill MK and he couldn't kill Mrs. S., So that made me happy. Mm. Again, in this Orphan Black universe, they could still die some other way. But if he died here, he'd be taken off the table and he couldn't kill them. So that kind of made me happy for a minute. For a minute! And then Sarah comes running out of the building, dresses Beth, and Helena shoots her. And I was so sad.
0: Yeah. Not cool. Orphan Black deviations. Not cool.
1: But you know what it reminded me of, Chris? Do you remember, I can't remember if it was between seasons one and two or between seasons two and three, but there was that post going around where somebody was making the argument that if Orphan Black wanted to be like an edgy show, the thing that it needed to do was to kill Sarah Manning.
0: There were various posts. I think the thing that you're talking about was actually an article that somebody had wrote, like a critic had written it. That's what I'm talking about, yeah. it infuriated me, and I talked about it extensively when we were on... (laughs) on a panel at Dragon Con and I got all worked up about it. <laughs> I'm still all worked up about it, because how dare you?
1: <laughs> I don't know. And granted this was just my personal reaction to it, but that inclusion of having Sarah being killed there, I kind of it kind of felt like the writer's being like, see critic, how did you like that, huh? <laughs> I hope you feel crappy now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was between seasons two and three that that article.
1: Yeah, but that's probably just me channeling my spite through other people.
0: (laughs) What? One of us
1: spiteful? Never, never happened. (laughs) The thing is, though, Chris, because of the setup of this story, Sarah wasn't nearly as well-developed a character. And that's not me trying to say that, oh, it's okay that they killed her then. But it does feel different seeing that Sarah die, like that version of Sarah die versus how it would have felt to see the Sarah we got in Orphan Black the series die at the end of season two or season three. It's true. It still makes me very sad because, you know, she has a kid. And, you know, the very ending ending, where essentially Helena comes and recruits Kira to be another avenging angel type, that's even, I think, more upsetting.
0: Yeah, the whole Helena arc was upsetting to me.
1: Right. And... I think that's another like major difference that we see here due to Beth surviving is that I think, especially with Helena, she does not connect with Sarah. So she doesn't start her redemption arc midway through this whole process. She is, she is just an antagonist the entire time. Yep. And she's also not around as much. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. I think that's sort of the thing is it feels like Sarah's connections to pretty much everybody are less significant in this when Beth survives.
1: Oh, I think that's absolutely true. I And I feel like Clone Club doesn't seem to gel as much in deviations as it does in the first season of Orphan Black. Mm-hmm. Like they, they kind of all come together at the end to try to get Kira back, but it happens very late in the proceedings, whereas it felt there was at least a... A grudging acceptance that they needed each other <laughs> earlier on in in season one, to me.
0: Right. Which could, as harsh as this sounds, kind of be the cruel reality of, okay, somebody is clearly hunting us since we are dying off one by one. I mean, with the immediate loss of Beth and Katya, you know, there's that sort of inciting incident of not only grief, but grief and something drastic is happening. And I think the fact that Beth was really the one who brought them together and was essentially the leader of the group, it uh, created a a stronger need for stronger bonds between them.
1: There are a couple of other... Redemption art maybe isn't the best word for them, but I'm going to go with it. I know there are people who... Routinely throughout season two and three, even weren't entirely sure where Delphine's loyalties lie. And I think it's fair at the end of season one, you're not a hundred percent sure. Here, I found it even more difficult <laughs> to be certain that Delphine really was on the clone's side. Like, I know she helps break Kara out of dyad at the, at the end there. But because like her and Cosima meeting each other and them starting their relationship starts a little bit Later, I don't know it to me, it just felt like Delphine trying to kind of switch her her allegiance. it felt a little too rushed for me to buy it if that makes sense, yeah, this is
0: part of what I was talking about earlier with the whole there's some stuff that happens that is essentially the same as it happens in the series, but it feels very different. I feel like that's like a prime example is the relationship between Delphine and Kasima. Because we get a lot of the exact same scenes, but they feel completely different to me. Like the, the scene where Delphine sleeps with Kasima and then starts rifling through her stuff. And of course, part of why that feels so different is, one, it feels like Kasima trusts her less in the comics to me. I don't know if it felt that way to you.
1: No, I think so, too.
0: Okay. And then also, Delphine actually sells out Sarah and Kira. Much to my shock. (laughs) I know. I was shocked, too. Yeah, I kind of couldn't figure out why that change was made. I mean, like, narratively, I understand why they'd be like, well, here's a way to get from point A to point B. But just under Mm -hmm. the premise of Beth doesn't die and things change, I'm like, I don't quite see how this relationship feels so different than it does. Unless it's just a timeline thing, right? Because Beth not dying does seem to alter alter certain things, like the sequence of events in certain ways. And again, I can't tell if that's me thinking that or if it's, you know, what's actually happening in the comic, just because it is a different medium and stuff plays out a little differently just through necessity. But I don't know. I just got very confused about the pacing of it, I guess.
1: Yeah. And and again, this could be a limitation of the of the comic book. You have more subtle facial expressions and things like that going on when you have human beings saying these lines. But when we were seeing like Delphine communicating with Leaky, she didn't seem to be as waffling in her allegiance as early on in the storyline as she as she does in the TV show. But at the same time, I think it's a good point to raise: Why did Delphine not tell? leaky about Kira, Kira in this series, it felt like that might have come from some affection she had for Kasima, but it also felt like maybe she had a moment of, oh my goodness, there's a child caught up in this. Right,
0: Human compassion is what it was.
1: <laughs> yeah. So why would she be less compassionate just given the fact that Beth didn't die? Yeah, I think that's a good point that you raise. And I think another element that maybe made Cosima and Delphian's relationship feel very different here to me was that... Cosima being symptomatic, I don't believe was ever brought up. I don't think they got to that part.
0: Yeah, if they did, I don't remember it.
1: Yeah, I know they showed Katya coughing a lot, but I don't think they actually got to where Kasima was symptomatic. And that is really something urgent that sort of repairs their broken trust at the end of that season, and helped the viewer feel like, okay, Delphine really cares. Maybe she really is on their side. I think they tried to do that here with her helping with Kira, but she just kind of pops up out of nowhere at Dyad. And it just doesn't feel as genuine as those scenes between the two of them and Kasima confessing that she's sick to Delphine at the end of season one. Mm -hmm. And then finally... Again, I I hesitate to call this a redemption arc, and it's more of a in-the-future type of thing. But Rachel dies here, so she doesn't have a chance to become slightly less terrible over the course
0: of (laughs) whatever might happen after this. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Of course, I mean, there's the whole thing, like, we didn't even see Rachel until the very end of season one. So she's Mm -hmm. much more present in this. And, yeah, it's that whole thing of, I don't know amount of exposure the characters get to one another, I feel like is a big factor in the differences between this miniseries and the TV show.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But yeah, me reading this series is just kind of like, but but that's not supposed to happen until Oh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> this is this is not the TV show. <laughs> Things happen differently here. It's a different story.
1: It's an AU, Chris. It is an AU. And, and I think as you were kind of alluding to earlier, and this makes complete sense. The fact that Beth survives brings in these plot elements from season four much earlier into the process because we, we saw in, in the flashbacks in season four, Beth was working with MK and they were looking at the the Maggot Bots and Dyad, and MK had information about Rachel Duncan and Ferdinand, and so so instead of Beth's death being a catalyst that like puts Sarah into the middle of Clone Club what happens and, like, brings a different perspective on Helena. Instead, Sarah acts as a catalyst
0: to sort of make Beth unite her kind of fragmented clone club. Right, because it seemed like in the show, what we find out in season four is that Beth was getting, maybe, maybe getting ready to tell the others about these things. Then she runs into Evie Cho, and Evie Cho basically convinces her to not do that and instead commit suicide to keep the other safe. This is ostensibly what could have happened had she not done that.
1: Which is why it makes sense to me that we see a lot of the plot elements from seasons like two and four in this storyline, but not really anything from seasons three or five, because that was information that was acquired by Clone Club, completely separate from what Beth would have known.
0: Yeah, or or only tangentially related to Beth's stuff, since it yeah. turns out that the military stuff was something that Beth maybe kind of knew part of. Did it feel
1: like to you, though, that there was less Beth than you thought there would be? I <laughs> Not that I necessarily thought it would be a direct swap where Beth had as prominent a role in the storyline as Sarah did in season one. I guess maybe I did think that. I thought maybe... Beth would be more the driver of the storyline here, given that that's the setup, that she survived rather than committing suicide. Yeah, I guess now that you mention it, yeah. Hmm. But instead, she's actually gone for a chunk of time where she's kidnapped by by Evie Cho. <laughs> but at the end of the season, there is kind of a swap, Beth for Sarah. She really takes the lead again. But I guess if I think about it, that makes sense because she almost committed suicide. She's very distraught and she can't immediately be better. So it feels like she does some lost week ending a bit. Like I mentioned, she gets kidnapped. She's going through some stuff, mm-hmm. but then she emerges as more of a not heroic figure. That's maybe overstating it, but she becomes like the a lead, the lead character who's sort of driving what the clones are doing to deal with their problems. Right
0: yeah now that you mentioned it though, I did have a moment where reading it and we get to that part where she's sort of going through some self destructive stuff and being mm-hmm. like, Oh no what what is going on here? <laughs> it's not surprising, necessarily, but it's also pretty concerning. And just to tell you about some of the other things that we are talking about on our other podcasts, we've recently released a new episode of our Lost Girl podcast, Drinks at the Doll, in which we talk about episode 301, Caged Fae. It is a fun but also critical discussion, so uh, keep that in mind. <laughs> yes, I know that one is, is a favorite of especially people who ship
1: Bo and Lauren, so while it is a fun episode, I think generally we we do have some elements of that story that we
0: critique, so be prepared. And you can listen to that over at our website drinksisadal.com. And then over on our multi-fandom
1: podcast analysis. on which primarily these days we've been talking about Kara and Lena aka Supercorp from the TV series Supergirl, we recently released a episode in which we discussed the subtext between those two characters from the sort of middle section of season three is episodes 310 through 313 which finished airing a few weeks ago now and uh it's pretty silly and ridiculous and i can't even keep our own head canon straight but hopefully i think it's entertaining for folks And we also give some recommendations for Supercorp fanfic at the end of that episode. So you can go find that over on our website, com slash
0: fan. So silly. And to wrap up our Orphan Black Deviations talk, I think we should talk about some of our favorite moments from the miniseries. Do you want me to go first? Yes, go first, please.
1: Okay, so I got unusually excited by the fact that somebody finally answered the darn riddle in the context of season one. Because <laughs> when when Beth came to pick up Katya and rescued her from Vic pursuing her, Katya asks Beth the riddle, you know, just one, I'm a few, no family two, who am I? And Beth responds, I'm you. Like, ah, it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's right, because I think either Graham Manson or John Fawcett did answer the question online somewhere, but they answered a clone, and I'm like, that's that's kind of disappointing. But I'm you is a much better answer. Sorry, John and Graham.
1: <laughs> no, it's a much
0: better answer. And we saw her try. Uh, we saw Katya try to use it on Vic
1: early earlier, where she said the phrase, and and then when. He answered he said, "You're Sarah, and that's when she knew, oh, he's not somebody part who's part of Clone Club that I should trust with this my samples, etc. So it became clearer to me how it might function and and I liked that I liked the answer
0: I'm you. it made me happy. I'm glad it made me happy also. This is such a minor moment, but I really enjoyed Allison's line, Shaming is for priests, Beth." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why it just made me laugh really hard.
1: It was a great Allison line. She did a lot of creative swearing, which I enjoyed, but that was my my favorite line of hers. <laughs> was shaming us for pre <laughs> <laughs> And speaking of, of good lines, it's, this one's a little bit on the nose, but it just felt very Felix where he's, he's like separating Allison and Sarah. Excuse me. He's separating Beth and Sarah, who are getting into an argument over fairly Sarah sleeping with, with Paul. And, and he says to them, you're both ridiculous, walking proof that flakiness, righteous indignation, and idiotic violence are genetic. (laughs) I just loved how thoroughly he called them out on their BS.
0: It is a very Felix thing to do, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, Felix.
1: But then I have to say, I think probably my favorite panel of the comic was, it was in the, the sixth issue. On on the first page, it's where they're talking about trying to go into Dyad to get Kira back. And Sarah is kind of challenging Beth, saying like, why the heck would you risk your neck for my daughter? And there's this great panel. And I think, Beth's expression is really good. I'm gonna read it. I'm gonna read what she says, but it has swears, so I'm gonna clean it up a little bit. <laughs> and and Beth Beth says in response to like why it, why is she willing to risk her neck like this to help Kira? She says, "I wasn't a mess up before all of this stuff. I I made I make a lot of mistakes with everyone, with you, Sarah, but not with Kira. Jerk face Leaky can't control us anymore. If I got to take the fall to stop him, I will." And I think that's a really. It was a really good like Beth moment that she didn't get to have in the the actual timeline, and I just I don't know that just landed really hard for me.
0: I really like that also, and now I have to tease you about saying jerk face. <laughs> well, I couldn't pretty think sure of that's it. not what the actual line is. <laughs> it is in fact not. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it should have been.
1: There were three swears in there, Chris. I had to cut out three swears so that Charlotte wouldn't be scandalized by by Beth's language.
0: Yes. Yes. Thank you.
1: But I, I thought that was a really good panel. I liked that moment a lot for Beth. And it also kind of made me warm and happy. This is maybe getting into something generally that made me warm and happy. I liked that Beth was wearing a flannel shirt, very similar to the one that Sarah wears at the end of season one at the end of the miniseries and she's like sitting on the couch with mrs s it feels i don't know she feels a bit more healed and whole even though she went through something terrible she looked cozy and a bit more at peace i guess and maybe that's just me projecting but
0: i'm gonna be honest with you i got to that panel and i flipped back a few pages to make sure i had read it right
1: i know because she straight up looks like sarah there (laughs) She does! That was a bit confusing. But once I realized it was Beth, I was like, oh, I see what they're doing here. They're recontextualizing this. And it's it's Beth who has gone through a journey and seems like she's maybe coming out into a better place, only to have something terrible happen immediately after that, as is Orphan Black's way.
0: <laughs> it's true. I kind of like that in the sense that it mirrors what happens in the series, which is that in a way, Sarah kind of steps into the role that Beth had been in. Mm -hmm. And so when you're reading this, it's like, oh, I see what's happening now. It feels like Beth is sort of starting to become what we saw Sarah become in the series. Which is neat and also sad at the same time. Because no! (laughs) (laughs) But I gotta say, just generally, I found the clothing
1: in the comic books to be very pleasing. (laughs) First of all, I loved Cosima's spy hat. She was wearing, I forget what those are called, a Panama hat, I think, but she was wearing like this brimmed hat while she was undercover as a spy. I was like, oh, (laughs) Cosima.
0: Well, she's got to cover the hair. The hair is too distinctive.
1: I know, but she wore like this big (laughs) kind of obvious hat that not a lot of people wear that style of. But it was was a good hat for her. It was good look on her. Uh Just not particularly stealthy. But stealthiness is not exactly Cosima's fort.
0: <laughs> so you're saying she needs to be like Sarah and get a get a hood of invisibility? I also love the choice to put Sarah in Allison's
1: ridiculous jumper onesie pajamas <laughs> for a good chunk of the story. That was so great.
0: <laughs> it's basically episode six. Episode six of season one. Except Sarah's just in... Yeah, like Wednesday pajamas the whole time. You're like, yes, I would believe that Allison would own that. <laughs> Absolutely, I thought of course Allison owns that as soon as I saw it, and it somehow just sort of ends up looking like a prison jumpsuit on on Sarah <laughs> because she's she she's been imprisoned by the color pink and she's miserable. <laughs> well, they do have her handcuffed in the craft room, so that's true. <laughs> it kind of fits the whole the whole milieu, if you will. <laughs> And I
1: also really enjoyed just seeing an artistic rendering of some of my favorite Cosima and Delphine outfits.
0: Does not surprise me, Stephanie.
1: <laughs> I don't know if they did this on purpose, but it did feel like they made an attempt to put in my favorite Delphine and Kasima outfits. I feel like maybe they knew they were the favorites of more than just me, <laughs> that a lot of fans really appreciated these outfits. Uh, but it made me very happy to see them included in the comic book. They even had Cosima in like her sexy stripy dress that she doesn't wear until the beginning of season 2 in the- on the TV show. But I thought, "Yes, it made it." <laughs> <laughs> and they had Delphine in her in her outfit she's also wearing in the same scene. Also a good outfit on Delphine, the black It's not really a tank top, but
0: like a sleeveless shirt and the black pants. She looks good. Just for you, Stephanie. They did it just for you. Just
1: for me. I know. <laughs> Well, they didn't include, I don't think, the dolphin outfit I don't like. So maybe it was just for me. (laughs) (laughs) The one that I don't like and everybody else does.
0: (laughs) I feel like you owe money to Wayne Nichols now.
1: (laughs) And finally, I will say, even though it could be confusing at times, I do think that some of the recontextualization of plot elements that they did were pretty clever. And they weren't always immediately apparent. Like, as I was paging back through to kind of pick out some of my favorite stuff. It occurred to me, in the TV series, we see Sarah going undercover and pretending to be Katja at the hotel, and that doesn't happen here, because Kacha survives. And instead, we see Vic mistake Katja for Sarah. I was like, oh, comic book writers, that's pretty clever, the way that you kind of flip that around. Mm-hmm. And there's there's several kind of moments like that where you think, oh... That happened, but in a slightly different way in the TV series. So I do think that they put some good thought into, okay, how do we incorporate familiar plot elements, but do them a little bit differently?
0: Right, because we also get that instead of Vic seeing Alice and Elle with her kids and that sort of thing.
1: And you, ha- and you have kind of classic Orphan Black moments happening between different characters and, and things like that. So some of that I, I did find fun and a bit of a a challenge for people who've seen the series to sort of recognize, oh, oh yeah, they did do that, but it was slightly different and here's how.
0: Oh, just a bit of Orphan Black fan news too. It has recently been announced that IDW is going to put out another Orphan Black miniseries and this one's actually going to be, I think they're calling it Crazy Science starring (laughs) Cosima and Delphine. Yay! (laughs) Yay! I don't know why they thought they'd do this. It's not like anybody is particularly invested in those characters. (laughs) That's a joke. Nobody... Nobody send me angry messages, please. It is also going to be written by Hallie Kennedy. It is apparently picking up right where Season 5 left off, with Cosima and Delphine going across the globe to cure the other clones. It's uh, apparently going to be a six-issue miniseries, debuting in June 2018, I will link to an article about this in our show notes for this episode.
1: I know this was our first episode that we put out in a while. We decided not to permanently close down this podcast but just so you know this is kind of what you can expect there could be very long breaks between episodes here just because we have other stuff going on and and TV shows that are currently airing that tend to demand more immediate attention so we still have ideas for episodes for this podcast we just can't guarantee that we'll put them out on a particular schedule or within a particular time frame so you know please stay subscribed to the podcast we are Again, we we have intentions for future episodes. If we have time, it's just we can't promise a particular
0: timeline. Yes, intentions, but not a definitive schedule. Exactly. If you have any thoughts about this podcast or others that you would like to send to us, you can do that in a number of ways. You can email us at feedback at tatiana is everyone dot com. You can also contact us on Twitter at t i e podcast. We are also on Tumblr at Tatiana is Everyone Podcast. You can also send us a voicemail at 972-514-7223 or record a voice memo on your smartphone and email it to us.
1: Tatiana's Everyone is part of the Ask Genre TV family of podcasts to find our other podcasts about Lost Girl and Supergirl and other girls.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's not completely inaccurate.
1: And Killjoys, along with some other shows. Bomb Girls, we do have another girl. (laughs) You can go find those over on our website, askgenretv.com.
0: Thank you so much for listening.